This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. All right. Um, If you would, turn to uh, Matthew 12. And... uh, We'll begin with a word of prayer here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. Truly, we find a friend in You. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. A friend that lays down his life. For us, no greater companionship, no greater comforter. Lord, we're thankful for Your presence with us. We pray tonight as we um, study this passage that You would enable us to be mindful of You and Your presence with us, among us, in us. Lord, that we would, in sincerity, look to You for for help, for understanding. We ask that You grant it. I ask that You enable me to speak. Speak Your Word. Proclaim Your truth accurately, plainly. For the edification of all here. And Lord, that You would use it to that end, that You would open our ears to hear, to receive, to respond the way that we should to Your truth. For Your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever, you ever, you know, walked away from a conversation or, uh, you know, maybe doing something like this, uh, uh, talking or Bible study or something, and thought of things that you wished you'd said? Um, I do that, uh, I guess, every every sermon. <laughs> but I was thinking this morning uh, about, uh, you know, didn't quite get around to ending that the way that, you know, anyway, I thought of some things I should have said. So that's that's what I'm going to do here, kind of give you the, the end of this morning's message. I also want to, um, and then move on to the next verses, but I also want to give you opportunity if, if there are any questions. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we'll do that from time to time, at least have the opportunity if there's any questions or uh, about the passage that we dealt with. Or really anything in Matthew leading up to this point, um, we'll try to uh, deal with that. I want to always give opportunity for that. The purpose is to learn and uh, and not to be in a hurry. So Matthew 12. Uh, what I did this morning really was was basically cover Matthew 11:25 through Matthew 12. 
verse 8. And talk about the contrast there in, in the work of the Pharisees and the work of Jesus. The contrast between works and grace. The contrast between uh, legalism and uh, um, the, the truth and the mercy and the grace and the, the freedom that, um, that comes with the truth of the gospel. Uh, the, truth, the truth that Jesus is Proclaiming, and what a contrast it is! Uh, I do want to say that legal, the legalism, as we, we kept re- referring to this morning, uh, takes on subtle forms. It did then, and it does now. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, but just something for thought. When we when we were um, listening to John Piper speak last year at the uh, Together for the Gospel conference. Um, he dealt with the passage, I don't uh, have the reference before me, but he dealt with the passage where Jesus gives the parable of the, the Pharisee and the sinner in the synagogue. And, and, the, uh, and the Pharisee is, well, the sinner is praying, um, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he's beating his breast. And the Pharisee uh, is, is praying, saying, I thank you, Lord that I'm not like that man. And Jesus asked the question, which one left there justified? Which is what Piper's message was on, justification. And uh, Anyway, I'm not really going there tonight. But, but, uh, but one thing that he brought out in that was to show that, you know, we often think of, see, how can I say this? We often think of the Pharisees of, of being works oriented, which, which they were, I mean, they were works oriented, but we would, we kind of think of it in terms as, as, as though they didn't have any concept of grace. So what, what Piper did was point out that in that prayer, that Pharisaical prayer, he was thanking God for where he was. In other words, he wasn't saying that he achieved it by works. The Pharisee wasn't saying, boy, look at me. Uh, I've, I've, I've achieved a better status than that sinner over there because of my works. No, he said, I thank you, God. I thank you, Father, that I'm not like that man. But nevertheless, and, and this was Piper's main point, even though he, he thought of himself as being justified, By the grace of God, not by works, but by the grace of God, he still thought the justification was here. I thank you, God, that I am not like that man. The sinner who was on his knees or on his face, beating his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, knew that he didn't have any justification in himself, not even by God's grace. He's totally dependent upon a righteousness outside of himself, apart from himself. Now, that's the difference in the true gospel and a false gospel. That's the difference, for example, in the true gospel and the Roman Catholic 
gospel. They too talk about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the idea, like, like the idea behind the Pharisees' prayer, the idea is that God gives you the grace to be righteous, to become righteous. And what the Bible teaches us is we're not righteous. We're, we're saved. If we're genuinely, genuinely saved, we're saved because of what we call an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of us, apart from us, the righteousness of Christ. So a more proper prayer would be, I thank you, Father, because I'm just like that guy. But I thank you that I'm righteous in your eyes because, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what I am now, but because of who Jesus is. Because of His righteousness. It takes legalism and and works-oriented um, Self-justification can take on very, very subtle forms. We can be saying with the mouth, I'm saved by grace. Thank you, God, for making me what I am. But the focus is still on what I am. That's very subtle when you're talking about God's grace all the time. And when you're talking about thanking Him that you are what you are. That's probably, I, I think, I think Piper's description of the Pharisees was dead on. As, as I have said many times, they are the theological conservatives of their day. These are, these are not the liberals. They, they didn't deny the Scripture or the truth of Scripture, at least not in word. I mean, they denied it in practice a lot. But, but their confession was that this was the, the Word of God and that they believed it. And so it takes a very subtle form. And yet all the way through the Gospels, uh, we're seeing this contrast between their form of religion and the truth presented through Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's, well, it's always very stark contrast. Now, they were, as I said a moment ago, they, they were works-oriented. Just again, probably with the idea that God has given us the grace to be so. God has given us the grace to achieve righteousness. Like, like uh, again, like the, the Roman Catholics would say today. Um, and so then, you know, then you can say, I thank, thank you, Father, that I'm not like that, that guy. That's still a distorted view. Um, it's, we're saved by grace because of the righteousness of Christ. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just give you a couple of examples. I talked this morning about the legalism of the Pharisees. And uh, uh, I wanted to give a, a read-off to you here, just a few examples. Some of the extremes they went to just kind of help you get the picture because... Jesus is talking here about the people being burdened down. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, all, all of you who are oppressed by this false religious system. And then the Pharisees accused Jesus, uh, accused Jesus' disciples 
of, uh, of violating the Sabbath. So, so and I'm looking here at, uh, and I looked at a few different ones, but I'm going to read some quotes from this one. This is John MacArthur's commentary. Um, this will just give you some idea of some of, some of their burdens that they were placing on people. Now, this is in regard to the Sabbath, because what, what they're doing is accusing the disciples of breaking the Sabbath. So that's what that's dealing with here. Certain objects could be lifted up and put down only from and to certain places. Now, this, is again, is on the Sabbath. Other things could be lifted up from a public place and set down in a private one, and vice versa. Still others could be picked up in a wide place and put down in a legally uh, free place. But rabbis could not agree about the meanings of wide and free. Under Sabbath regulations, a Jew could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. But if an object weighed half that amount, he could carry it twice. Eating restrictions were among the most detailed and extensive. You could eat nothing larger than an olive. And even if you tasted half an olive, found it to be rotten and spit it out, that half was considered to have been eaten as far as the allowance was concerned. Throwing an an object into the air with one hand and catching it with the other was prohibited. If the Sabbath overtook you as you reached for some food, the food was to be dropped before drawing your arm back, lest you be guilty of carrying a burden. Tailors did not carry a needle with them on the Sabbath for fear they might be tempted to mend a garment and thereby perform work. Nothing could be bought or sold, and clothing could not be dyed or washed. A letter could not be dispatched, even if by the hand of a Gentile. No fire could be lit or extinguished, including fire for the lamp, although a fire already lit could be used within certain limits. For that reason, some Orthodox Jews today use automatic timers to turn on lights in their homes as well um, in their homes well before the Sabbath begins. Otherwise, they might forget to turn them on in, in time uh, to, have to spend the night in the dark. Baths could not be taken for fear some of the water might spill onto the floor and wash it. Chairs could not be moved because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground, and a woman was not to look in a mirror lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we'll go along with that one. No, no, I'm just kidding. You could carry ink enough to draw only two letters of the alphabet. And false teeth could not be worn because they exceeded the weight limit for burdens. (laughs) According to those hair-splitting regulations, a Jew could not pull off even a handful of grain to eat on the Sabbath unless he were starving which, of course, is often a difficult thing to determine and would be cause for considerable differences of opinion. If a person became ill on the Sabbath, only enough treatment could be given to keep him alive. Treatment to make him improve was declared to be work and therefore forbidden. To determine just how much food, medicine, or bandaging would be necessary to keep a person alive and no more was itself an impossible burden. And it goes on. I mean, there's more. And as I mentioned there this morning, uh, they, there's a, a list of, of the uh, of 
in that the rabbis had put out a list of 39 things that you cannot do on the Sabbath day. Um, And the Scripture simply says that you'll observe the Sabbath, keep it holy, you'll, you'll not do any servile work. It's a day of rest. So you see the kind of burdens that Jesus has in mind that are being placed on the people by the legalism of the Pharisees. Now, a, a good exercise for us, I mean, it's, it's almost, it wouldn't be funny if you lived back then, but you know, we're, we're reading these things now, and you know, I, I hear you laughing, you can't help but laugh at some of those things. And, and uh, uh, you know, a friend of mine, even today, a friend of mine was in Israel years ago, and in the hotel where he, was, where he stayed at, they had a Sabbath elevator. And it automatically stopped at every floor so that you didn't have to push the button. Uh, so you could ride the elevator. That was okay. You just weren't allowed to push the button. So you had to ride the Sabbath elevator. Um, yeah, some of the things that are, 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 are would be humorous, like I say, we can't help but laugh at them, but, but, but that they're so burdensome. And the, and the people really were placed under this kind of oppression and still are. But a good exercise for us... would be to examine our own practices and doctrine and seek the Lord in an honest manner, search the Scriptures, pray, and say, Lord, in what ways are we doing this? In what ways are we doing this to to believers? And in what ways are, are we trying to put Yokes on people who are coming in, coming to faith in Christ. Because it's always easier, isn't it, to look at somebody else and see their fault. So it's easy to look at the Pharisees and say, wow, uh, they, were, they were crazy. They were oppressive. Or, even in our own day, it's easy to look at groups like the United Pentecostals and the way they dress and say, my goodness, you know, uh, that's just... Absurd. But a, a good exercise for us would be to look at ourselves and, again, with God's help, pray and say, Lord, in what ways are we doing this? Because it can be so subtle. The legalism can be so subtle. Sometimes it's even in the form of, of trying to you know, make everybody adhere to certain um, pet doctrines that, that may or may not really be essential or major issues, but ones that we have chosen and put importance on. Or it may be certain practices, certain order, orders of service and things of that nature. Um, in what ways are we merciful? Are we, are we declaring the truth the truth from from the whole of Scripture. Are we declaring the truth with mercy and love? Which, by the way, does not to say de- declaring the truth in mercy doesn't mean compromise. Doesn't mean backing off the essentials. It will mean bending on the non-essentials. It will mean compromising there. It will mean putting others before self. It will mean laying down your life. 
for your friend or your brother or your sister in the Lord. It will mean being inconvenienced. It will mean not getting my way oftentimes. But it doesn't have to mean compromising the truth. Many of these issues, and like I say, we see this so much today, the plucking grain. Now, this is not one we have today, but this is what the Pharisees were doing. We have many issues like this today. Plucking grain. That's not an issue that you can't bend on. But they were so insistent that things be done their way that they would even withstand the Lord of the Sabbath concerning matters of the Sabbath to His face. Now, here's, here's the end of this morning's message, okay? In the face of those things, where do you go? What do you do? Where do you turn? This is what Jesus is saying in the latter part of chapter 11. Come to Me. Come to Me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. He doesn't call on them to bear the yoke, the oppressive yoke. He says, come to Me and bear the easy one. Take on the light burden. That is, go where the truth is. Be subservient to the truth, the truth of God, the whole counsel of God. Not to the traditions of men. Formality doesn't save. Uniformality doesn't... Uniformity, I should say. made up a word there, I think. Uniformity doesn't save. Works... Don't say. Jesus saves. So He says, come to Me. All you who labor, you're heavy laden. You know what you need? You need rest for your souls. Put off, put off the burdens that God didn't put there. Don't, don't carry them yourself and don't give them to other people to carry. Again, it's Acts 15. When they had a dispute among the elders... Uh, among the Jewish Christians, and they took it to the elders at Jerusalem. There's a dispute about whether or not to require Gentiles to keep the law, to keep the Mosaic law. And Peter basically said, why are we going to put a yoke on them that we can't bear ourselves? So don't don't carry the burden and don't put it on others. Whatever it is. Whatever form it takes. Our righteousness is in Christ. Christ alone. Our rest is in Christ. Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn from Me. This is exactly the opposite of what we'll see, Lord willing, later when we get to chapter 15, when He talks about uh, them, the Jews, being taught 
the fear of God by the commandments of men. It's amazing, isn't it? He quotes from Isaiah 29. You've been taught, God says, you've been taught the fear of me by the commandments of men, the precepts of men. You think that that's being a God-fearer. You know, do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. And then he says, you know, with your lips, you draw, you draw close to me, but your heart is far from me. So Jesus is saying, don't go that route. Learn from me. Don't, don't put yourself under that kind of oppression. Don't learn from the doctrines and commandments, traditions of men that not only can't save, they, they don't benefit you. Learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Christ, the Messiah, is calling, calling burdened, weary people to Himself, desiring that we rest in Him. If you adhere to such regulations and oppression, it's unlikely that anybody that you try to put them on will ever meet your expectations. And it's unlikely that you will yourself. It's, it's a frustrating road. And that's why he refers to it as being burdened and weary So he says, come and rest. Come and rest. Come and rest. Come unto me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that's the end of this morning's message. (laughs) Verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now, Jesus demonstrates what he's been talking about. This, this, this message of mercy in contrast to their uh, message of Legalism. His true religion focused on caring for people, meeting the needs of, of those who are sick, of those who uh, are poor, of those who are demon-oppressed or possessed, in contrast to all of their outward ceremonialism, void of any real love and mercy. 
He demonstrates the truth. And by the way, he does say in verse 8 too, we didn't really deal with that, but uh, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is, he is sovereign all the time. He's sovereign on, on the Sabbath. He's, he's the law maker and giver and fulfiller. He's not subservient to it. It doesn't mean that he broke it. He kept the law perfectly. Uh, he came as a human being, kept the law perfectly. But the law points to him. Now he's the fulfillment of it. So he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to him, to Christ. But now we have him. We have the substance. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He defines the intent of the law. Now, so what the Pharisees should have been doing, and this is another way of coming to Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. What, what the Pharisees should have been doing, if they want to properly understand the Sabbath, is look at Jesus and watch what He does. What they, what they should have been doing, if they want to properly understand righteousness, the righteousness of God, True righteousness, even genuine practical righteousness, living out a right kind of life, living out godliness in this world. If they want to understand those things correctly, look at Jesus and watch what He does. If, if they want to understand true worship, what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth and be totally devoted to the will of God, look at Jesus. Instead, you see what they're doing. They're, they're taking their own concept of those things and they're saying, here's what we think worship is. Here's what we think observing the Sabbath is. Here's what we think godliness is. And you know what? You don't measure up. It, this is what it means to be in compliance with the Sabbath law. And you're breaking it. And they're saying that to the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> He's the one that gave the law. They should have been studying Him and doing what, again, He says back in verse 29, learn from Me. They should have been learning from Him. Learning from Him. Well, He's putting it on display for them and for His followers. What is the Sabbath really about? Or what is really to be considered a violation? Look in verse 9. He went from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know what? They know what's, fixed, what's about to happen here. Um, other accounts say that he initiated... Uh, the conversation, asking them the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They know it's about to happen here, so it's just like uh, waiting in the grain fields. They're, they're ready. They're ready to pounce. They're ready to accuse. They're ready to accuse Him again of breaking the law. Now think about it. Here's a man with a withered hand that they have no compassion for. Absolutely none. Obviously. They're so wrapped up in their technicalities 
that they have no compassion on a human being who's suffering. Just like they had no compassion on His disciples in their hunger. Is it, is it lawful? That's the way. Is it legal? Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? Or, or if you heal this man, will you be breaking the law? Now, obviously, their answer is yes. You will be breaking the law. It is illegal to heal on the Sabbath because they consider healing to be work. Uh, many of the rabbis that I just read to you in John MacArthur's commentary, you could help somebody if their life was in danger. You keep them from dying. But this guy, he's got a withered hand. He, he can be healed on the, the day after the Sabbath. You know, this, he's, his life's not in jeopardy. If, if, if he needs to be healed, do it tomorrow. It's not legal to heal on the Sabbath. But, Jesus answers in verse 11 and says, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more value is a man than a sheep? He knows, he knows, he, he, he fires back with a counter question. If you have a sheep falls into a pit, do you get it out on the Sabbath or do you just leave it there? Oh, they get it out. Livestock is money, right? I mean, you lose a sheep, you've lost a meal or a few meals or you've lost money that you could have made selling it. They get it out. It's amazing how those kinds of inconsistencies work. I've heard people today, um, you know, in discussions I've had or, or preachers that I've listened to, who believe that the Sabbath is still binding, the Sabbath law is still binding on Christians today, or just, you know, Christians, and, and, and they'll say things like, uh, well, you know, the ox was, I had to work, the ox was in the ditch. Because in the Old Testament, there's an allowance made, right? If the, if the ox is in the ditch, you've got to get him out. So they'll say, well, you know, I couldn't help it. I had to work. I had to go in because the ox was in the ditch. No, the ox wasn't in the ditch. You had to make money. I mean, let's, let's be honest. That, that's, that's the way they're doing it here, too. The, the, uh, the allowance in the Old Testament was to save the ox. But that gets used a lot of times today to make a sale, to close a deal. Or something along those lines. That's that's a uh, strange inconsistency. Uh, but having said that, let me say this: I don't I don't think the Sabbath law is binding uh, upon the Christian community. I just find it interesting that those who do use those kinds of um, that kind of rationale to escape it sometimes, and not all do. Some of them try to be more consistent. But this is what Jesus is talking about, that kind of rationale. If you have a sheep goes into a pit, you get it out, but you don't want me to heal this man. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful. Now this, this is the word of the Lord of the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing that they could get so caught up 
with technicalities of the law that it would prevent them from doing good. And they've gotten to the point that they couldn't even recognize something as, as good as healing a man for what it was, a good work. Doing The law didn't say you can't do good on the Sabbath. It just said rest on the Sabbath. Jesus says it is lawful to do good. Isn't, isn't that kind of behind all of the law anyway, that we should do good? Isn't that the intent behind all of the law? Not, all, not only the Sabbath law, but all of the law. All, I think there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. I believe it is. haven't counted lately. haven't ever counted, but that's what I've heard. I think it's 613. And that's, that's what's behind all of them. To do good. To do what's right. To do good. And they've become totally blind to that. And Jesus is doing good and they're accusing Him of doing evil. And Jesus is telling them, no, it is law. Healing a man is good. And it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So while their form of religion was all about self-righteousness, what, what he's showing them is the truth, and it's about going about doing good for the glory of God. For the glory of God and for the benefit or well-being of fellow man. And that's what he's doing all the way through the Gospels. Everything he does. He's got those two things in view. The glory of the Father, always perfectly doing the will of the Father, glorifying the Father, and the welfare of people, human beings. It's doing good. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. I, I love, this is a great, one account says he tells him to stand in the midst. <laughs> he just, he just, they're all indignant because they're afraid he's about to do this thing. So, so what does he do? Tell the guy, let's, let's go to a back room. No, he says, look, you stand right out here. And essentially what he's saying, y'all watch this. Not, not in a show-off way, but just, I'm, I'm going to show you what the Sabbath is really about. I'm going to show you the truth, knowing that they're going to get more offended and more mad. And he just tells the man right there in front of everybody, stretch forth your hand. And the guy puts his hand out and it is... Healed perfectly. It's reminiscent, by the way, of you know, I mean, because you notice here, he didn't he didn't touch him or anything like that. Didn't even didn't even speak a word like you know something like be healed. He just told him stretch your hand out. And it's reminiscent of when God was appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses was. Uh, well, he was making himself known to Moses. Moses was was asking God, you know, how, how are they going? How are they going to believe me? Who do I tell them sent me, and so forth? And God told Moses, "Stick your hand inside your cloak." And he stuck his hand inside his cloak, and then God said, "Pull it out." And he didn't touch him, or he said, "Pull it out." Moses pulled it out, and and his whole arm was leprous, eaten up with leprosy. And then the Lord said, "Put it back," and he put it back, and he said, "Pull it out." And he pulled it out, and it was clean again, like like the skin of a brand new baby. 
<laughs> what Jesus is, is doing here, essentially. I mean, just stretch forth your hand and it's healed. It was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now, there is no mercy in legalism. It makes a great show. It, it, it's, it, it, it has the, the appearance of religion, the appearance of godliness on the outward. But it's a killer. It's a killer. That's why Jesus said, Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Come unto me. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for truth. The truth of imputed righteousness, salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Salvation based on the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we're thankful for Your ways. Teach us, Lord, we pray. Teach us Your ways. Show us Your ways, Your paths, and teach us to walk in them. May we receive Your grace. And may we not only be recipients, but what, Lord, make us channels, conduits, so that in our own gratefulness, thankfulness towards You, Our disposition towards others will be grace. Grace, grace and mercy. So that your, your love is, is diffused, Lord, through us to those around us. Again, we thank You for loving us, for saving us, for teaching us. Use us for Your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.